Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Innovation Crush. I think you'll get that bad joke uh, once we start talking. Um, so in case you don't know, uh, you should know by now, this show covers some of the most innovative people, projects, things that we can find on the planet, and actually sometimes throughout the galaxy. So um, <laughs> I got a snicker already. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce today's guests, uh, Joel Zwick. And Steve Sunshine, say hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, it's going to get really vaudeville really quick. Um, no, so I guess for starters, just uh, introduce yourselves. You can elect who goes first, but uh, the point uh, goes to Sunshine. Right now, I'm one of the senior producers of a television show called Extra with Mario Lopez. I've been doing that for about 14 years, and I must say we just won an Emmy. Congratulations. So I'm an Emmy award-winning producer. Very happy to say that. Nice. Is that the first extra Emmy? It is because it was the first time there was a category for entertainment news in the daytime Emmys. So, and uh, we won it. We were the first one. So, uh, it's Congratulations. very proud of uh, it. Double first. Double first, absolutely. And so uh, and that's what I do now. Uh, the other thing that I do is uh, get involved with theatrical projects, and that's one of the things we wanted to talk about today. Let's let's talk about it. Well, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. So <laughs> I, yeah, it's one of. So I'm also a producer of uh, theatrical properties, and there's one that we're working on right now that's very exciting, called Serrano the Musical. You just stop me when I'll. No, it, hey, yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a, a play that was. It was written about five years. Okay, I'll stop you. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of a, it's it's a take on Cyrano de Bergerac, but it's in the mob in Little Italy, and it's Serrano D'Angelo, poet, lover, hitman. Right, and uh, he is somebody who has to educate a young mobster, so that who is uncouth, but gorgeous, so that a beautiful daughter of a judge will fall in love with him. And thus, her dad will have to recuse himself from the case that's going to basically bring down one of the heads of the five families. And nice. the next judge in line is owned by the family. Uh, and Serrano is thrilled to educate somebody. He kind of likes that. He's an educated right. man. The only problem is it's Rosanna, the woman he's secretly been in love with all his life. This is, this is, this is like a soap opera. And, uh, and, and what, what, how long is the production? Is it? It's probably, I would say, about a standard Broadway length production. It must be run the first Eight act. Hours. The, yeah, yeah, no, first act is about 55 minutes. Second act's about 50 minutes with intermission. You know, it's about a two-hour evening. So says the director. So says the director, because it will be <laughs> a two-hour production. By so the go time ahead and introduce yourself, Joel, because I um, I have a, a miniature erection that you're here because oh, of, God. because of your uh, uh, your track record. My, uh, right, you too, I'm, Steve. I, I'm a little uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. Okay, I'm Joel Zwick, and um, what have I been at? I started out in theater in New York. Uh, La Mama, to be specific, experimental theater, and somehow moved from La Mama to Laverne and Shirley, which nobody could understand, but I kind of understood it. It seemed fair enough to me that I could go from La Mama to Laverne and Shirley. Then I spent, uh, oh, the next 21 years directing television, and then spent the following 10 years directing features, and then, because of my daughter offering me a job, to direct at the Disney Channel, where I thought I was in retirement. I've been directing for the Disney Channel for the last five years. 
So, um, my daughter, I have a nine-year-old. Oh, you know, you know my shows. Then. I know. Yes, we watch Full like Full House. All the reruns is. on Full House. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and we meet every once in a while. The Full House cast. Jeff Franklin likes to get us back for a, a yearly gathering, and nobody can believe that of all the shows that took place in the nineties, that Full House was the one that survived. <laughs> <The> Full House <laughs> is weird. I actually posted that on my Facebook. I go. Well, I was like suddenly, I'm, my daughter watches Good Times and Full House. Oh, that's like, so are, funny! Are, good Times and Full House. Well, actually, Joel, Joel two very different families. Yeah, two Joel different families. Got me, my first job in TV because we started in theater together back in New York, and my wife and I came out and stayed at his house, and he taught us how to write sitcoms. And then we had uh, a, a huge hit with the show called Webster that you might remember. Yes, of course. Uh, my <laughs> wife and I produced it, and Joel directed it. And uh, that ran for quite a while, and then um, and we we've done a lot of TV. But uh, Joel, I think you hold the record for most directing. No, nah, I think is I, it I Jimmy t- Burrows. Or? It's probably Rich Carell of all people. Maybe yeah. But the you fact, say he the but the fact is that uh, <laughs> our ratings are low. I, I, that's right. Maybe he two, holds the record. <laughs> certainly, I've directed over six hundred episodes of sitcoms. But also, I took an 11-year hiatus, which Burroughs didn't do, that coward. That's like he Muhammad Ali. He couldn't make he, it in the future. Exactly. He had to take that time no. off, you know, when he... When was, they, that, was that prison time, or was it what happened during the 11 <laughs> that, years? That, that was basically My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Fat Albert, a couple of my other mo- movies that I made, plus... Some theater work I was doing. I right? loved when Mushmouth rapped. Oh, that, that was that, the, the rap, funniest. The Mushmouth rap, yes. <laughs> that was. <laughs> that was I, and, and it was like it was you know certain certain jokes in comedies like he goes that joke was for me because that's my kind of humor and I have a very weird sense of humor. There it goes. It, yeah, I know. I uh, he's a great character. You no, know, so that basically I took a bit of a hiatus thanks to uh, uh, my old buddy Tom Hanks who I I brought into this town on Bosom Buddies, and. Uh, he calls me up one day. I'd sent him off a script I, telling him that I think I'm getting out of TV, Tom. Don't like the trajectory of the career right, right now. You know, the years have played itself out. Maybe I'll go into independent movie making. He calls me back saying, you know, that's a great idea. I have a script I want you to direct. I said, you do? Well, <laughs> why don't you send it to me? And he sends me my big fat Greek wedding. And it was the easiest job I've ever gotten in my life. That's awesome. All about a connection. All about a connection. Are uh, either of you Greek? Not I. Pl- I Not. was I was directing Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, it was all my Jewish uncles <laughs> yes. and aunts, and she was writing my big Jewish factory. Greek, same thing. Same, right. it, it's, I think what universalized the project. <laughs> to be quite honest, Tom was decidedly against any Greek going near directing that movie. He said it will just become so an in thing that nobody else will relate to it whatsoever. He thought that getting somebody else would be a use. So bingo, all here right. I was. Well, your, your name dropping. I'm going to have to name drop. <laughs> okay. I have to name, name You already name dropped Emmanuel Lewis. Like that's Hello. no, you did. I said Webster. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said oh, Webster, I'm but okay, you said. I, know, I personally know Miss Manny. Yeah. All, right. All right. So cut to after Webster. We get a call saying uh, they're doing a show called The Julie Andrews Show, and it's in trouble. Could you guys, meaning me and my wife, could you guys come over and see if you could help the show out and write it? Cut to we go to Julie's house. She has to approve us. Yeah. And she knows that we love musical theater. So we're singing Musicals <laughs> with Julie Effing Andrews <laughs> really? at the piano. That's pretty okay. heavy. <laughs> Back to you, Joe. No, <laughs> your I, turn. Well, Wait, uh, before, before you guys continue one upping each other, yeah. um, obviously you both been really successful. I was just going to ask, like, from a you know, after such a both long careers of telling stories, what's uni- you said a word universal? Mm-hmm. Like, what is universal about storytelling? Right, because you've got. 
you know, you've got theater, you've got stage, you've got television, film. Like, most people can't jump around in an industry mm-hmm. and be successful at it. But what is, like, the universal truth that you find that kind of keeps you successful? Well, for me, which is strange to say because I'm a director, it's about the writing. It's always been about the writing. It's always about the person who can tell. Some They claim there's only seven stories, but you better find a way to tell those seven stories differently every time it comes up. And that's what takes the uniqueness of a good writer to do. Right. And then from that point on, it's just packaging the writing. If you're telling a good story, if a story makes sense, mm-hmm. eventually the writing will come together. Better jokes will come in. Better lines will come in. Better character descriptions come in. Right. But if you're telling a story that's just a stupid story to begin with, you're in for one hell of a bad week. Yeah, for me, it's pretty pretty much the same thing. It's the writing, but it's also like, what if? We always want to imagine, what if something happened and then surprise me? We all want to be surprised. And that's what keeps me uh, connected to a project. When I turn the page and go, wow, I didn't expect right. that. Or, wow, that blew me away. If that can still do it to you, it's worth staying in the business. Yeah, it's interesting to say that. You know, we talk to a lot of businesses on the show or, you know, thinkers behind ideas and it's always that like especially when you think of innovation it is what's the unexpected thing i can do here right what how can we plus up and not alienate the the experience entirely right no you have to come up with those things that's uh, one one great moment we had on webster which i think might have been my idea because it sure sounds like my idea was (laughs) was webster is 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 coming across the floor and he's trying not to wake up mom and dad and we can hear him going He hears the sound and he decides, that's crazy. Takes off his shoes, continues walking. (laughs) That's that's unexpected. The rule of thumb is if the joke is big enough, logic can go out the window. But you can't throw logic out the window unless it's an enormously big joke. And that's kind of a rule of thumb. (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and, and over the years, right, like what has changed about, I'm going to actually back up from that. The you, We did the rounds of name dropping, which mm. I'm sure we continue to do. I've got more. I've got more. I've got more too. Oh, I'm, yeah. There's like a, 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 there's a physical Rolodex should come I could drain, <laughs> drop names you've never heard of. That's how many names oh, yeah. I have. Yeah. <laughs> Manny Schwartz, right? You know him. <laughs> I actually do know Manny Schwartz, but you wouldn't like him. <laughs> Um, no, but networking, right? Networking is a huge, like building relationships, keeping relationships intact. You know, what are some of the principles that when you meet somebody or you've worked with somebody and you want to cultivate that relationship? Because I think a lot of people who are up and coming, like would love to work with the Tom Hanks and, you know, let me, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you a story. True story. Uh, I go back to the university of Buffalo every once in a while. There's a bunch of us that came out of the theater department, film department mm-hmm. there, and we go back and we kind of, um, you know, talk to talk to the students and tell them, you know, how to succeed. Like we really know how we did it. <laughs> and uh, but the interesting thing is, one of one of my uh, former classmates said the thing that is absolutely true. They said, "Look around you. Look at all the people. Look at all your friends. Stay close with them, because look at us up here on stage." This is like 30 years later, and we still call each other. And now many of us have been successful. We could count on each other because we all started out together. These are the people you really should stay in touch with. Everybody wants to call Jerry Bruckheimer. Guess what? He's not going to return your call. Right. Everybody wants to call, you know, Gary Marshall when they used to be in TV. That's who you wanted I to call. call Gary Marshall. You He's actually could do it. Yeah. We can um, call him now, actually. Yeah, really. <laughs> Let's give Gary a call. But the point is, it's... It, 
make your connections now among your peers because your peers are going to be the ones who are successful and it'll be meaningful and stay in touch. It's the best advice. That's great. I agree with that advice. Uh, the fact is that uh, the other advice is that you take opportunities when they arise. You don't sit around saying, well, maybe tomorrow I'll get a better offer or that wasn't exactly what I was looking for. Bullshit. You got to get out there, take an opportunity and prove your, your worth. Yeah. And say make, yes. You have yeah. to say yes, yeah. get going. Yeah. You'll start to meet people who are on the upward path and some of those people will remember how good you were when you right. did your job there and take this you to the I next job. This is why pornography for that's so many why, years. So the 11-year so hiatus. That's 11 right. Year. And that's why that's how Steve and Maddie became friends. And when, that, when I was involved and I, they were talking about getting out to L.A., I said, I think I got you. I hooked you up with Stu Silver. We worked on a pilot script for them so that they could prove their writing ability. And bingo, they were in town doing work. But that was based on a previous connection. Yeah. That came out of someplace else. So it's all really organic. Like, Very organic. I, I think some people set out, especially when they come to town, right? Mm. Let's, let's call it that, um, to – they're so goal-oriented that, and they're so focused at the distance that they're not paying attention to – The moment. Right. Absolutely. Very um, much so. No, and that, that's interesting you say it's that. It's like do the work. Do right. the work. The work will speak for itself. Don't look for the result. The, the, the work – is the result. It's interesting. You get to a certain point in your, in your career, you realize that it's all been about process. It's never been about the end result. Right, right from the get-go. I was lucky in that I never had goals. I don't know how I got to... I, right, right now in my life, I kind of think... That, that's Joel, a quote actually. for the promotion of this episode. <laughs> yeah. I never had goals. I never had right. any goals. I, I, that's why I keep on thinking, why me? How the hell did I even arise out of this? Because there were no goals. When, growing up as a lower middle class kid in Brooklyn in Sheepshead Bay section, I wasn't thinking about making movies, making theater, making anything. Right. And all of a sudden, little by little, I started to find myself taking opportunities that people offered me because they thought I was cute or they thought I was funny or they thought I was stupid. Whatever reason they... Right. They jo wanted me to join in on their little thing. I would do that. And little by little, I, I was just recently trying to track out who and where were those people in my past that actually informed what I became. Yeah. And it, uh, it was a, quite a, a thing in my brain when I finally worked it out, who the hell those people were. You want to know who they were? Sure. You care? Yeah. Okay. High school, junior high school, met a lovely little girl. Uh, her name is Carol. And... Uh, she was driven. She was going to make it. She was going to make it in the music business. That's how she was going to make it. And when we got to high school and rock and roll kicked in, she was going to be in rock and roll. End of story. So she decided she was going to have a quartet. And we developed a quartet at Madison High School called the Cosines. And that lead singer was Carol King. <laughs> There's a moment. Nice. All right, I got a name drop again. Here <laughs> okay. goes again. Okay. I got to go back to that. Hey, hello. Right. So I was sitting around with Blake Edwards. Blake, while, him, while Blake. Julie is playing the piano. I said, and Carol was sing. singing And Blake is tapestry. over there. And Blake said, did I ever tell you I liked your writing? And I said, no, actually, you told me you didn't like my writing. He said, well, I didn't really mean that. That was one script I didn't like. Would you like to write a Pink Panther with me? And my wife and I did. We wrote one of the Pink Panthers. Which Panther one? Movies. Back to you, Joel. Yeah, uh, it wasn't one of the big. It wasn't. Questions. It was, all right. It was all the right. Benini. It, it was, was Benini. Roberto Benini, Son remember? of the Pink Panther. I'm not saying it was a great movie, but no, the but idea. The, fact that the opportunity came. Of writing a Pink Panther. Yeah. Movie? You do yeah, it. You do it. You do it was it. great. Yeah, it was yeah. great. All right, no more. If you name drop again, I'm going to have to. My whole life is replete with yeah. name dropping. <laughs> so I don't know how I stop. But Chris, anyway. How about you? Name drop. <laughs> Come up I with don't, a name. I, I barely know you guys, so <laughs> that's, that's all I got. Yeah, but basically you can start to track out. So my connection with Carol right. paid off a little bit, and then it came onto another connection that took it to another connection. I just can't But these look. are your peers. And that's Those right. are your peers. Yeah. You it's not start like going peers. to the big people who yeah. will never get to I was going to say, did, did either of you ever have mentors? Because I'm always like, I'm, it's a 
catch tw- it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a two-sided thing I to consider me. my mentors to be Gary Marshall and uh, I guess maybe Jay Sandrich if I had to come up with the two Jay was the director of the Mary Tyler Moore show mm-hmm. okay. that period before I got into TV and Gary Marshall of course besides creating Happy Days in Laverne and Shirley went on to a major career as a filmmaker yeah. but he was the one who first gave me my chance to direct Laverne and Shirley so wow. and he was right there you know supporting me at a time in my career that I had no reason to believe why anybody would Oh, that was a huge so, transition. Like, it was a huge <laughs> transition. And Gary saying, hey, I think I'll give you a shot with the girls next season. Right. I had no idea who the girls were. But I thought, hey, that'll be fun. Yeah, I was like wrong. Girls. But no, <laughs> the girls turned out to be uh, fine. They were so talented to make no difference right. with Lenny and Squiggy, Michael McKeon. What a t- what hello. A, hello, did he ever turn out the hello jokes? <laughs> Put me away every time those idiots showed up on, on an entrance, and I knew what was coming because I was directing the episode, and it would still surprise me, and I would still laugh every time they kept bursting through the door with their hello jokes. Same question, though, as far mentors. as... Mentors. Well, Joel is, is one of my mentors, uh, and, and clearly we knew nothing about TV. My wife and I really came out of a theater experience in New York, and that's how I know Joel. Joel was teaching at Queens College, and I was a graduate student there. Right. Though we never worked together, we got to know each other, and we started to uh, you know, work on similar things. I wrote a play at the time. Joel uh, liked it, was kind of uh, work putting staged readings together. We put staged readings together. It was a and, good play, Breaking In. Yeah, Breaking and, in. and that's how we really started to, uh, to bond. And, but everything I learned from TV, I learned, I learned from Joel. And one other person, a, a, a wonderful, crazy guy, named Harry Crane. Oh, God bless Harry. Harry, crea- interesting guy. He created The Honeymooners. And if, wrote most of the episodes. Wrote most wow. of the episodes. He wrote for Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis and yeah. Frank Sinatra. When Frank, with the, with the Rat Pack in, in, um, in Vegas, right. Harry wrote their, their comedy material, their incidental, their sketches wow. and everything. He wrote all their stuff. But a lot of that had to do with Gary Marshall, who had determined that all the shows he had running, he was going to bring in an old-timer onto the crew. He wanted an old-timer's voice of how television was done in the 60s for the people yeah. who was now creating it in the 70s. And Harry Crane was brought on to, um, uh, I think I had him on Mork and Mindy. Did I have him on Mork? You had him, you had him on... Um, uh, didn't you have him on Laverne and Shirley? Maybe it was Laverne and yeah. Shirley. You had and him on also, all of Gary's He brought shows. in Milt Josephsburg, who had been the director and exact producer of the Jack Benny show. Yeah. So he wanted that legacy. He wanted the industry and also, to understand. And Harry gave Gary Marshall his first that's job. That's right. And Gary mm-hmm. never forgot. And that's another thing. Peers. Yeah. You know, they, well, that's, they uh, work together. And that's a, one of the things I have written on my piece of paper is just that idea of team building, right? And, and I, I look at kind of your careers as you know if you look at silicon beach today where you've got the technology you know the the technology boom and there are you know buildings filled with startups and Mm -hmm. people building teams and networking and finding mentors and putting money and budgets and teams together and it's it's very similar to like the what happens in hollywood right like very much so you are doing that exact same thing how do you out of your network when you have a project like how do you go about building that team you know, that's going to capture the voice of, you know... Oh, you really do that a lot, Joel. Well, I do it a lot, but yeah. years and years and years I've developed people that I know are go-to people that I, if I have to do a show, I call up my cameraman personally and say, guys, right. I'm, i got a show coming up. I want you all on the show. And my job is made about 10 times easier by bringing in my people right. who will work with me show after show after show. But I think if you're at the beginning, you're bit, pretty much at the... Um, but you're also, you know, it reminds me of you're always auditioning, always. 
And but you have to see auditioning as doing the work, not being on and right. trying to impress somebody. Yeah, you got, you got the, to way you, the way you succeed is the work. And and where somebody says, "My God, I, I got to work with that person again." That's who I want. Let the works. If you speak for the work, it's not good. If the work speaks for you, right. you're in. Well, that's well said, Steve. Thank you. You ever think of writing? <laughs> not anymore. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but that's the truth. The truth, boy, it really is. Uh, I, I stay process-oriented. I've been process-oriented right from the beginning. My belief pattern is that if the process is the best process I can create for a given episode of a show, right. I will get the best possible product. So what are some, what are some key principles to process, uh, you know, process development? System. System. You have to you have to be a systems kind of a person who understands the system by which something's being created. Be it either a Broadway musical or a TV sitcom or a movie. You must understand the system, and then as a systems person, you must make that system work as efficiently as you possibly can. Because loss of time to a bad management is a killer. We need to spend that time with creative pursuits, trying to take that we didn't want. Stretch yourself there. Let's try this. But if you're fighting for your life because your system is is crazy, uh, you're in trouble. But also, it's like, you know, sometimes people forget, even successful people forget why they wanted to get into this business in the first place. Mm. It wasn't money and it wasn't fame. It was fun. It's absolute fun, and there's nothing more enjoyable or infectious than seeing somebody who loves what they do and is having fun. If it looks like you're pulling your hair out all the time and you're getting a heart attack, not very attractive. You're attracted to people who really enjoy it. It doesn't mean you won't have days like that. You'll have many days like that. But overall, that fun and joy is not a small thing. And you know, if, if you but, but that's a personal. You know, everybody comes to this thing with their own personality intact. One can sure. one can develop or not intact. Or not intact. <laughs> and you're right. Those people who are basically pills don't work as often. Yeah. Those people who are up, buoyant spirits who right. keep the actors happy and moving. And, because we're all coming to work every day. The key is if we can. How laugh. do you do that though? Like how do you know when you are face to face with production woes? You know, things break or somebody doesn't show up. Like how do you, how do you maintain the balance of staying positive or is it like just a, a key job requirement it's a key job requirement as far as i'm <laughs> concerned it's a big joke is because big things never upset me if it's a big problem you got no choice you got to dig in and figure out a way to solve the big problem it's right. the little things that can get you exploding the spelling error that's right that's that, that, that's what all of a sudden gets you nuts Absolutely. but not the big things no the big things have have to be de- dealt with and they must be solved and we will find the way to solve them through a process <laughs> that gets you there, <laughs> right. you know, although the writers come from a little bit more of a um, result-oriented place. They've written words that they expect to hear, and they're hoping that they get the effect they're looking for from the words they've written. Sure. So they're listening for, for that, and I'm not interested in, in their results. I'm trying to get the process to a point that not only will they get their results, they will get more than they were hoping yeah. for. And that's, that's why I, I think I've been able to work for... 47,322 <laughs> years now. 5,000, <laughs> 2,500. Yeah, 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 yeah no, exactly. That's true. That's true. 
No, that's interesting. I mean, just because I, I think it kind of also shifts the perception of what a director is, right? A lot of people, I think the perception is it's the person who... Tells you what to do? Yeah. No. It's the, you know, it's the angle and the lighting and, you know, action. But it really, like, it is... Inspiring you, performance. Well, there are actors, there are directors who are actors' directors, and there are, act, there are directors who are technically more efficient. I had one a great experience. I was directing Laverne and Shirley at the time that Steven Spielberg was directing 1941. And Penny Marshall and Michael McKeon were in 1941. Right. So uh, he asked if he could come down and watch an episode of Laverne and Shirley being shot. So there I was having Steven Spielberg shadowing me on a Laverne and Shirley. Mm-hmm. 20 years later, I'm at a birthday party for name-dropping Tom Hanks, <laughs> and I run into Steven Spielberg. And I said, Steven, do you remember when you, f- you shadowed me on Laverne and Shirley? He says, of course I do. I said, well, I thought you were there primarily to learn a little bit about multi-camera and how all this stuff gets shot. He said, nah, I was there trying to figure out how you direct comedy. And he <laughs> says, you know what? He says, I never figured it out because that wasn't his spirit. His spirit was he was a visual director. He would tell Penny Marshall, okay, you've got this speech. I need this speech in 42.3 seconds. Go. That was his directing of actors. He needed to get it at a certain time frame where I'm going, "Ah, you know, let's go play and see what you come up with. Yeah. All right, he name dropped again. (laughs) We got got Steven Spielberg. (laughs) I got a good good one, but I don't think you have time for it. Okay, so... I'm on the John Stewart show. John, John Stewart wants ridiculous. to know how I got the interview with Barack Obama before he did. There's a name. Okay, I'll give you a name. You All won. Right. I'll, 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 that's, uh, well, that's, that's it. I'm leaving the story right there. It's a true story. Just take your headphones it's off and tr- just throw them. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. You're going to start to throw the president of the United States in my face. Uh, then I'm not going to respond. <laughs> what was the original question? I can't remember. I, I don't I know. No uh, Let's move on. Shall okay. We? Uh, no, so again, you know, I love like looking back at sort of you know, this history of classic storytelling. And like you said, you know, uh, the gentleman you mentioned earlier who wanted to bring in some of the old heads to mm-hmm. maintain the voice, right? When yes. you guys look at the ecosystem today and you start seeing Hulu or Netflix or YouTube creators um, and, you know, you've kind of been birthed in traditional television, film, theater, you know, how is there a need or a want to sort of balance it out and like capture the digital space in any way or? Uh, yes, I think you've got to capture the digital space. It's what's happening. It's it's the future. It's not going anywhere. It's only going to get bigger. They have the means of distribution. And anytime you got the means of distribution, you just have to buy or create your own product. Right. And at that particular point, you've got a leg up. What it does is give millions of more people an opportunity to get into the business. But however, you're now competing against millions of more people than I competed against. Also, the television set is a delivery system. It's not a medium anymore. It's a delivery system for so many platforms. And I think the more the merrier. I think it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be creating because you have no excuse to say, well, I can't get into ABC or NBC or CBS. There are only three buyers. and I get That's what they used to say when we oh, were yeah. starting. Only three buyers. You piss off two of them. You have one yeah. left, and then that's oh, it. When, right. I go, when I go to colleges to speak, I say, listen, you know, you've got a cell phone. You could make a movie on a cell phone. You can make a movie on a yeah. cell phone. Kit Carson and, did it. And if you're not doing that, let me tell you, somebody else is doing no, it. Yeah. And the one that's doing it is the one who's going to progress in the business and find themselves perhaps with a chance at a very nice livelihood. We did a special effects show in 1990 from uh, the old uh, Sony lot. It actually was Lorimar at the time. Oh, God. And, um, and it took what we did, what took us almost a month to do the special effects, I could do it in a weekend in my garage now. 
So oh, yeah. it's right. changed so drastically and dramatically. If you don't get on, you know, the ship has sailed. Right. You better be on it. Yeah. That's what it's about, and and it's exciting. I don't find it threatening. I actually find it exciting. Yeah, it's it's funny because there's a, I mean there's a quote I like, which is like it's not that people don't like change, they don't like transition, right? It's like like when they first started doing self checkout in the grocery store, I'm like, no, I want I want service. I don't want to yeah. like I came here. To, or they <laughs> want to know the rules. I just you know I don't like. We're in a time now there are no rules, and that's that's scary. Right. And so people say I don't care what the rules are. Just tell me what the rules are so I could follow them. But but the rules are make up the rules, and that's you know very well, challenging. Well, that's, that's I mean that's success in innovation anyway. It's Big time. Like you you break the rules in order to create something new and interesting. You know. Yep. You follow the rules to repeat what has already Oh, yeah, done. and everybody's scrambling right now to find out exactly what this new media is going to mean, how big it's going to become uh, between, you know, Hula and, and basically Netflix. Yeah, Netflix and, and, I mean, Netflix, for the first time, you're getting uh, a subscription service that is up for and winning Emmys. I predict, yeah. and it's not a big prediction because it's going to happen in the next year or so. Oh, because someone, you've won an Emmy, now you can, no, well, <laughs> you can predict all the rest of them. Mr. Big Shot. I predict all the time. You know, my record isn't that good, but I predict. The, but uh, someone, uh, something on YouTube is going to be up for an Emmy. Well, of course yeah. it will and be. And something on YouTube will be up for an Oscar. And eventually there's going to be... It just th- will. They're going to be. They're going to all of a sudden have categories specifically for YouTube kind of things, which will then become it, ma- right. make it mainstream. And once it starts to become mainstream, it's like anything else. Yeah. It's going to all of a sudden cut out. The next generation is going to have to find yeah. how they can reinvent and in order to get themselves People are going to say that it's unfair because we can't compete with them. But you know, I know somebody said the same thing about HBO when that came sure. on. They said it's right. unfair. They don't have to... They don't have advertisers. They don't have to do what the networks do. It's not fair. Well, right. you know, if you want fair, go to Pomona. It's like from books to radio to film. Everything. To, you know, yeah. nothing ever died out. Like, it's, we still consume all that stuff. Sure. Right? And, That's absolutely and correct. There's, there's That's how it's delivered. It's funny because there's almost like, you know, I, I used to work for a, a very large YouTube network. And, you know, we did two and a half billion views across the network every month. But there was always still this sort of us against them mentality. I'll like bet. the traditional entertainment industry versus, you know, digital creators. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's their own uh, award shows, the Streamy Awards, or all these different things that kind of like, we're going to celebrate ourselves. Um, But I I like that your prediction is that more and more will start to take the leap. No question about it. I just did something for Awesomeness TV. Oh, yeah. I had no idea what Awesomeness TV was, but uh, I did this thing called It's a a Pilot. It was a series called Richie Rich, based on the character Richie Rich. And uh, basically it was being, uh, 13 episodes were being done, mm-hmm. half hour episodes, but being shot in installments so that one could air seven minute installments of an episode so that they can stream it right. and keep it going. And, the, and DreamWorks bought them. Right. DreamWorks just bought Awesome this TV. So yeah. they're buying into the possibility. It's a big purchase, too. <laughs> it's a big purchase, and they're trying to basically buy into the fact that this is a world they're either going to get into or they're going to be cut out of. And if they cut out of it, right. uh, that goes their bottom line big time. It's like Blockbuster versus Netflix. Very much so. Like, nah, yeah. We don't want that stuff. <laughs> That's right. Um, how have audiences changed, right? Like, you know, <clears throat> when, mm-hmm. when Webster was on or Mork and Mindy, it's kind of like you have very few choices. Your water cooler conversation the next morning was like, did you see... And now, like, I may watch all of the episodes of House of Cards. In and, one sitting. Yeah, and you're on episode <laughs> one, and I've lost a bit of dialogue. Well, I well, think yeah, we vir- viral has is, is become the new water cooler. I mean, that's to kind some of, degree. isn't it? Yeah. Kind of like when you, something goes viral, that's the equivalent of, oh, wow, the whole Everybody kind of hooked into something. Everybody kind of knows this. Yeah. Right. It's their water cooler moment. Yeah. Um, audiences, uh, I, I think, are all the same. 
always, but it's we know humanity is we know, the same. We maybe yeah. Humani- know, humanity is the same. Than we ever but did. the we're fact su- remains, we're exposed to so many yeah. more things now. So Ma- I, I think it's it's harder to surprise. It's right. harder to uh, keep sustain laughter and sustain storylines because. There's so much of it out there, but it, it challenges. Uh, well, never it's been more challenging. The new generations right. have been trained in a much more concise uh, ability to concentrate, to say the least. I know that the Disney Channel has an unwritten rule that there's no scene that can go longer than four pages because they don't think that their audience wow. can sustain. Now, when I was doing Perfect Strangers or Bosom Buddies, we would have 12, 13-page scenes. Uh, no longer. They got them chopped up so that basically it keeps the thing moving, keeps the thing moving because the young audience right. today demands that because they're basically, you know, catching three minutes of this on the YouTube, three minutes of that, two minutes of that. If they want to sit down to a television yeah, show. It has to move. Has to know, move. My, wife, my wife thinks it all started with Sesame Street. She was a writer for Sesame Street. Oh, she was a lyricist. Oh and uh, she said they used to keep, I don't remember the exact time, but it was something like you couldn't go over a minute 10 because they felt that was the attention Same span. Thing. Wow. And uh, I think my wife is convinced that's why we have hyperactive kids. Hmm. But, and it may be true, but it's the same thing now. Uh, right. But it actually probably started with Does Sesame she know Street. if the Elmo guy is guilty? Okay. Uh, uh, all right. Um. Yeah, no. Uh, it's, uh, well, well, tickle him and find out. <laughs> <laughs> tickle me. And also, it's the, it's the pervasiveness of media. That's all. The, every, there's so many choices now to be had uh, by, by virtually everybody that you're no longer. I mean, the network TV, which used to have Bosom Buddies, went off the air at that time with, I think it was a 32 share and 18.1 rating off the air. Because it wasn't holding up. Right now, the Super Bowl doesn't get an 1832. So uh, it shows you the nature of how things have changed. And Hanks is still pissed off at Magnum P.I., which he says was the show that knocked him off the air. And I said, Tom, look at the career you built. (laughs) Thank God you didn't have that show on. Yes, I said. said, Oh, Bosom Buddies reunion. Webster knocked Dukes of Hazard off the air. Really? That's right. He did. That's when we became a hit in about the sixth week or something. Yeah. I feel so torn. The General (laughs) Lee or the black brother? You got to stick stick with your black brother. He's a very nice kid, Manny. That's the best story. He and went that's to never college. been told. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I will tell part of it, but only part of it. This is a kid who took care of his mom, took care of his brothers and sisters, made sure they went to school, uh, made sure they... While, they, he, was, uh, while well, he was Webster. W- right or, after. He's, oh, okay. What I'm saying is he saved his money. He didn't drug oh. out. He didn't party out. He didn't go bankrupt. He finally graduated from he, Emory. He graduated from mm-hmm. Emory. I mean, this is, this is exactly the poster child of the way it should happen, but rarely right. does. And that's Emmanuel Lewis. He was a great kid then. He's that, a great adult now. Is that an now. internal thing, or is that like the world kind of taking effect on? I think it was kids. his mom. I think it's internal. I think it's basically basically uh, his. He had a great his mother was mom great. Who was, who was well, not a stage mom, but a real mom who made sure he knew right from wrong, and he and he was a kid when he was supposed to be a kid, right? And kept him out of a lot of things. I mean. She was a Margaret. Remember? Oh, she a was a very uh, strong-willed woman. Phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And I think that's you know, that's where it comes from. Yeah. Who knows where it comes from? But but he is a success story. He's an amazing. Yeah, my kid. my belief had always been that uh, nice people going into the business 
remind nice people coming out of the business. Success does not change yeah. you. If you're a schmuck coming in, all the money in the world will not make you a nice person. No, it's like, what, it's like one of my favorite Wayne Dyer quotes. He's like, if you, if, you, if you squeeze an orange, what happens? The orange juice comes out and is like, what happens when pressure's on you? Like, if you get all belligerent and, and cuss everybody out, like, that was already there. Like, That's yeah. right. It was there. Exactly. Nobody <laughs> created that for you. No right. question about it. No, um, no. So bridging the digital gap, right? I, I think it's really interesting that you guys are going almost backwards in terms of uh, well, backwards is the wrong word, but to uh, an older art form, definitely the stage, right, and musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing it with a very new platform. You're on Indiegogo, correct? Like yes. Okay. Yeah. So just. Tell us about like how you got to that decision because even when I look at the website again, team building. You've got an awesome roster of starting to build a behind the scenes. And basically, we've been doing workshops of Serrano now for maybe it could be four or five years. And each workshop garnered us rewriting of what needed to be done: better songs, get rid of songs, add new songs. All of a sudden, we'd find a piece of talent that gets associated to it, and bingo, we're starting to build a cast of superlative actors who now love this show because they've been part of its incarnations for so long, and uh, they stick with us, and uh, w- this thing is going to get to Broadway. It is really a special well, we're, show. The interesting thing is we all come out of, all the producers on this all come out of film, music, TV. Give us some examples, because I'm, like, I'm, yeah. when I read the credits, I'm like, this is uh, like... Uh, well, uh, <laughs> it's, a pretty, stars. it's, it's yeah. a heavy load for somebody simply out there trying to raise some money at yeah. this particular point. But we were not New Yorkers. We were not a New York-based organization. We were built out of California when we started creating this mm-hmm. whole thing. And basically, New York is not all that pleased with people from the outside, unless you've got billions of dollars that you're wishing to dump into something. Right. It's a very hard sell to convince a New York theater like the Schubert's or the Nederland to put your show into their theater when they're when you're competing against New York diehard right. producers, so we had to find a different road to take uh, but, because we cannot let this project die. But one of the things that. we have in common is we all we all like musical theater. We just and we all like theater. And many of us started in theater, thought our careers Definitely. would be there. Of course, right. it, it was very hard. You know, it's hard to make it in any part of the business, and you're lucky if you could make a living in any part of this business. Yeah. But all, almost all of us had a feel for theater and a love for theater, and we wanted to do it. And we never did it because we're out here, and it's not the same thing. And w- when this play came along, and it seemed to be the right project, and Joel uh, locked onto it and, and loved it and started bringing actors to the fold, and we started to have readings and stage readings, and we put our own money into it. Because right. we thought, like, listen, no one's going to believe in it unless we believe in it. And so over the past four or five years, we've put quite a bit of our own money into it to see what we had. And we think now we have something that's really ready to run. We've never done a full run. It's always been workshops and staged readings. And so now we're saying, now we need to bring the public in for a couple of reasons. Number one, we want to see if they respond to it. We want to see if we have something with it. And you can get in on it for, you know, I mean, yeah, you can give us five or $10,000. You can give us a buck. Right. Uh, but whatever The perks it is, are different, though. If, uh, the perks are a little different. <laughs> <laughs> but they're still perks. You right. Can still get, you can still get a perk. It's not as perky as the $5,000 right, right, perk. No, but, okay. but, uh, but there are. There are a lot of things to get. And we want to see if the public kind of responds to it to tell us we think we think we have a hit. Well, everybody does that's, something. That's a producer thing. The director thing is they will respond, and we do have a hit. <laughs> I cannot be sitting around thinking, waiting to find out what the audience thinks. Every time right. we've done a reading of this thing, people have been blown away. Yeah. Just blown just away. Just incredible. Because, once again, the talent pool we pulled together is like, 
what the hell? Who do they got on that stage? You know, yeah. you, c- you couldn't buy that crew, that cast, if you actually had to do the well, that's show. An, that's an interesting point, though, the, the yin and the yang of creating something, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody has to be a little bit more business-minded about it all, and mm-hmm. someone else has to be very, very creative and free to, to do their thing. It, right. you know, how do you like? How do you guys maintain that balance? Like, do you trust each other enough? Do you argue? Like, <laughs> no, we never argue. We don't uh, argue, but we we. I mean, we we have uh, discussions. <laughs> <laughs> we have discussions. You know what? We've worked together for so long. This goes back to working with the. You know, because this is something that came out of love of the theater. Right. We decided to choose. We. I. Fa- I. M- my wife wrote. Uh, she's a screenwriter and a playwright. And she wrote the project. It's something that she always wanted to do. She got Joel involved. As soon as Joel got involved, and I I said, well, listen, I always wanted to produce theater. I'm going to get involved. And I picked a friend of mine at Extra who also likes theater. And I said, listen, you're not that busy. I mean, hopefully our (laughs) boss isn't listening. Uh, But uh, I I said, look. I'm going to send this to him immediately. Thank you. It's a her. And uh, if uh, I said, why don't you come on and take the trip with me? I don't know what's going to happen with this, but I know you love theater. We've never done it before. Isn't it exciting to like be doing something we've never done before? And he loved the idea. And I said, I want you to bring in one other person who also feels that way. We right. need like three or four producers. He brought in one of his best friends who he grew up with in Greece. Of all them, places. Of all places. They were at the American school. Their parents worked right. there. Uh, was Mark Wolper. Mark Wolper is the son of David L. Wolper, who has a star on the Walk of Fame. He created syndicated television. He did the 1984 Olympics. Wait, he created syndicated television? Created syndicated television. When he couldn't get in the 50s, when he couldn't get his show on ABC, NBC, or CBS, he went around and sold it. I forget what the movie was. He had a movie. Right. And he sold it to every market around the country. Individually. Individually. <laughs> Brilliant. A, a Channel 5, a Channel 9, a Channel 43, you know, in Buffalo, in, in uh, Miami, and wherever, all over the country. And he said, the only thing I require is you all show it at the same time on the same <laughs> night. And therefore, he created... Essentially, yeah. He cobbled together a network which we now know as syndicated television. He invented it. That's Mark's dad. He he also produced Willy Wonka. He produced Roots. He produced. I mean, and Mark. Very similar stories. Very similar stories. And Mark. (laughs) I often confuse them. I I often confuse the two. Which one was Gene Wilder? I forget. I forget. Gene Wilder was Chicken Who. (laughs) So, uh, but uh, uh, Mark is uh, very successful in his own right. He took his father's business over and has been running it for over 20 years and he has shows on tv films documentaries and everything mark was a, f- a friend of D- talk about friends they know each other since kids Dave, yeah, my friend t- david at extra brought mark on mark had a friend who was a record producer who loved musicals always wanted right. to do something and he brought spencer Proffa on that's how it worked how do you guys go about meeting new people right like if, if somebody walked in the room now and like hey i'm joe and I, this is what i do like if, how, do you entertain that, or like do you, I, do you go to Old Faithful? Like, no, I actually entertain that because I have a belief that uh, the next generation is critical. I'm not so sure that I would entertain a, a 60 year old producer walking in uh, looking for a job to begin with, but a kid out of college or something. If right. I could be of some use, and I and there's some reason to connect to it. Obviously, they're not going to have an easy time connecting to me if there isn't some kind of a some kind of a connection somewhere that gets them to me. 
But right. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with this whole thing. I'm, you know, doing the uh, Richie Rich show is a hoot. Uh, I'm, <laughs> trying to, I'm trying to get who, involved. Who plays Richie Rich? It's like some kid. He's an 11-year-old kid. He's, uh, he's adorable with a very funny cast. And uh, who fun. knows? Maybe they'll, they'll, they'll pull it off. You know, they got 13. And then I think Awesomeness makes a decision on whether they're going to stay in production. Right. You know, but uh, Scott, you sing, right? You, what? you sing, don't you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Don't we all? Don't Go get we your guitar all? And then we'll, we'll do Scott, a little, we'll we do really a don't have time for you today. I'm really. <laughs> we, you got bumped. <laughs> <laughs> name no. Drop. Yeah. I got a name drop. You got a name drop. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you, oh, you, oh. you just dropped my. Oh, name. Okay. Right. So you made it. You did it, Scott. Scott's in. Indeed, Lee. But I'll tell you, the the uh, I'm always open to young people. Look, uh, if I weren't open to young people, I wouldn't have a job. I'm the oldest person at Extra. <laughs> and uh, and the fact of the matter is that I work with people who are young enough to be my kids right. who are very smart, qualified producers and writers that blow me away. I mean, some of them are, are smarter than I ever was at that age. And so I, I, I always think it's who the person is. It's not age. Right. The, it's the work. It's the talent. It's also the motivation and how much you really care about what you're doing. And if you do, I'm impressed. I want to meet you. Right. Um, what do you want people to walk away with after they've worked with you? Like, what do you want? Is it knowledge? Is it a feeling? Like, what you know? What do you want to instill in someone? I, I would like to think that uh, they've learned something having seen uh, the process, seen the system, seen uh, my way of approaching actors and approaching producers. I would like to think that there's a learning experience going on there, and I would hope that uh, I try to make. Uh, Work fun. That's what I do. I'm a, I'm an idiot and a and a, a, a lunatic. Uh, matter of fact, <laughs> I did a I did some kind of a thing for TV Guide Network about Full House, and the the director and the producer came to the house saying, "Oh, we were waiting to interview you. We interviewed everybody from that show, and they all say that you were a madman." And I keep thinking to myself, "My God, that's the first impression they had of me <laughs> was that I was a madman." And I'm thinking, "Well, okay, that's not so bad. There could have been worse impressions than a right. madman." But then they said, "But he's also brilliant." I said, "I didn't. Uh, neither of those descriptions it's a lethal fit combination. Me. It really in some is cases. brilliance and madman." <laughs> I'm going, "Whoa, you know what folks! They say, Don't believe your best reviews or your worst." <laughs> that's right. That's right. Just uh, hang exactly. in the middle. Right in the middle. Hang it right in the middle, hang and the it's middle. probably somewhere in there. And somewhere. Just, that actually, that actually brings up a good point, though. Like, as far as this is a highly critical business, right? You betcha. That episode is horrible. That Brutal. show was horrible. Mm-hmm. Brutal. That actor was horrible. That director sucks. Like, how do you, like, how do you get duck feathers, right, and brush that stuff I, off? I, I basically came up with a definition for myself, but I'm one of those kids who define things for themselves, and I decided that, uh, that basically you can't get yourself caught up in the concept of success. Success is what somebody else designates for you. They decide either that you were successful doing a project or you were a failure doing a project. But the fact is the artist can't get involved with that. The artist must learn not only from their successes but from their failures. Right. And the artist must continue in the process. Now, of course, if you have enough, quote, unquote, those things that people consider to be a failure, they don't let you work anymore. So we <laughs> right. do understand there is that pressure. But if you make that, the pre- if that pressure actually forces you to, to behave differently than you would normally behave, you're doomed. You are doomed. That pressure will only kill you. Right. It can't survive. You also have to be able to filter, I would imagine. Oh, big time. Because some of the criticism, like, okay, you sucked, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, I can take these two points and apply them. You very much so. And the other 25, I'm like, okay. Yeah, everybody, because reviewers, you learn more about the reviewers than you learn about the project. So you understand who reviewers are, but you know. It could be very very tough. And, you you know, uh, 
you you wince a little. Water off a duck's back. Water off a duck's back. Not exactly, but (laughs) but oil off a duck's back. Oil off a duck's back. Yeah, you you do wince a little bit, but then you move on, and and it gets easier and easier. The thing I could tell young people is that it gets easier and easier as you do the work and you know who you are. Yeah, we have to practice taking the punches also. Like Absolutely. To, it, you know. Speaking of, my name drop, Sugar Ray Leonard was on the show. Love we Sugar Ray. About, nice. We talked I about like this that. very thing. You betcha. I'll betcha. Yeah. It's amazing to me that people who are professionals in just about any field are using the exact same vocabulary. I sit there and listen to sports analysis, and I keep on hearing the exact same thing that I constantly talk about, how you have to stay in the moment. You can't be thinking right. outside the moment. You've got to yeah. be there you at the moment. you got to take a punch. The actors have to be there in the moment. If they're thinking about what they're doing, they're dead meat. They have to be there in the moment. Right. The director has to be there in the moment. Hard place to get to, but you can't get there if you're thinking about whether you're going to be a success doing this particular project. Yeah. That's why for me, I have no question about it. Serrano is, is, is a massively entertaining show. It is the funniest show that anybody's ever seen, and just in terms of dead-out humor. Yeah. Uh, it is hysterically funny. And, it's, and a, it's not just a great show. It's now time to really launch this thing, and that's why we're going to Indiegogo. That's, okay. really, yeah. uh, that's really why we're doing it. We want to get this out to as many people. We don't want to go through the tried and true uh, uh, Broadway community people who have a very narrow way of doing things. They're very nice. We've met a lot of nice people. Right. In, but it's a very closed society. And, you know, we always feel like we'll just do it. We'll just is there, figure out is how there to do a it. disadvantage to going the Indie, Indiegogo route? Is it does it feel too rogue for the industry? No, uh, we have no choice now. Uh, we've tried to break into the quote unquote New York industry, sure. and uh, they uh, everybody favorable, love the show, love the show. But when it came time to plunking money down, all of a sudden they were waiting for the money to come somewhere else first. Right? They would all they would all come in if we had the money up front, so they knew that. We, like, well, if I had the money, I wouldn't be here. That's the theory. <laughs> yes, I wouldn't be coming to you if I had the money. Right. But essentially, uh, you know, so we played the and game. And we felt there. it was it was more important to spend some money, which we did, on developing the script, on making sure Joel could attract actors, that we could find the people, so that the work would speak for itself. Well, that also, I think that speaks to the way the world operates today, right? Like, you know, artists are getting record deals because they have a body of work and an audience and a brand and all these yeah. things already built and packaged and all the record label has to do is go, okay, cool. Like this is a no brainer. Apply that. Exactly. This is a no brainer. As opposed to like taking a risk on, okay, I heard you sing in my office and let's see if we can develop you. Mm -hmm. Um, that that's really interesting. Name dropping, name dropping moment. (laughs) Feel free. When I was singing with Carol, (laughs) okay, Carol had uh, left the cosigns because she became (laughs) Carol King. What a choice she made, but nonetheless, were you a singer? Well, like what did you do in the court? Okay. I, I, I was a tenor in the, in the group. In our doo-wop group. He was the boy tenor. I was the boy tenor. <laughs> Four-part harmony. But at any rate, uh, when, uh, 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 when we had the teenagers, Frankie Lyman and the teenagers back in the 50s. Well, Frankie Lyman died in an accident when he was 14 years old. Yes. And the producers, uh, Ahmed Erdogan at Atlantic Records, was looking to, th- they had this concept, dumbest concept ever heard. They thought maybe it'd be fun if they brought in a little white boy to replace Frankie Lyman with the teenagers. And I auditioned to replace Frankie Lyman <laughs> and the teenagers. I didn't get it, by the way. And they decided how did you a, feel about that at the time? Did you, it you made just, no difference to me. I okay. didn't know what, oh, how cool is this? I can get to sing with the teenagers. Right. <laughs> you know, it didn't, <laughs> had no color in my mind at all. <laughs> I, was just, I was just blind right, to right. everything else. I was just doing my thing. Doing my thing. So, no, I didn't become the next yeah, Frankie Lyman. 
What? <laughs> I guess it didn't work out. <laughs> that that one didn't work yeah. out, no. You wouldn't be sitting here today. No, yeah, no. Um, uh, as far as Indiegogo goes and thanking the public for being a part of this experience, and w- what are some of the um, perks that you guys are offering, and how much money are you trying to raise? We're trying to raise $4 million. $100,000. Which is big. Okay. That's a lot. It, it's a lot, but we, could re- we can run uh, Serrano for 12 weeks, and that's what we want to do. At the Matrix Theater, one of the iconic theaters. Um, yeah. And, and it's great. It's a lovely, lovely theater. That's uh, the fellow who owns the Matrix is somebody that Joel used to act with and I knew as a producer when I worked at Paramount. Again, he, these connections. Were, we yeah. were not big people then. It was all the people starting out and getting to know each other. Right. Those are the people to stick with. I can't say it enough. Mm. Anyway, Joel, Joe Stern, who owns the Matrix, uh, likes our project, likes what it's about, and he said, "Come on, do it over here." And we're, you know, obviously we're going to pay for it, but we got a nice rate. We, you know, we're going to work it out with him, and he may jump in. We don't know, but he loves the project and wants to be somehow involved with it. We'll That's see great. what that means. So the perks for a dollar, for five dollars, for twenty-five dollars, for fifty dollars, you can get T-shirts and you know all the usual things, scripts, right. and scripts, uh, signed scripts, and and as you get up to fifty, and and not for a lot, maybe twenty-five or fifty. I don't have it in front of me, but sure. you can uh, you can if you come to the play, you can come backstage, meet the cast, oh, wow. have your picture taken with them. Uh, at a fifty or a hundred dollar level, you also get a CD of 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 the music. Uh, get two tickets to the show. Um, we got a lot of those kinds sure. of gifts that that would really be fun to have. At the higher levels, we're giving away a few a few really interesting things. I've been very fortunate. Uh, extra is letting me uh, award uh, an extra experience, which means I will personally take somebody behind the scenes of a shoot at Extra when Mario Lopez is there. Wow. You'll be there with him. You'll take your picture with There'll him. There'll be a lot of women. Absolutely. Giving you guys yeah. like thousands of dollars. And <laughs> you can, you can uh, take your picture with any celebrity that's there, and then we'll take you to either a set visit or a red carpet, because it all depends on what's going on, Right. where you'll be able to take the extra mic and interview a celebrity. Oh, nice. And we'll record it for you. Obviously, it won't go on the air, but we'll give it to you as a kind of keepsake. Uh, where you'll be an extra reporter for the day. So that's one in it, and that's really that's, that's a, a prima. We're awesome giving out part. three of those. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Joel I, is doing something that's, uh, if I was starting out today, I would buy what Joel is offering because you can't find this. You want to uh, tell them what it yeah, is? The, um, You're offering two versions of it, which I think, you know. That's whatever, but yeah. essentially a chance to shadow me on an episode that I'm directing five days from the first reading all the way through the last shot being taken. Uh, for anybody who's interested, perhaps in uh, how the process works, and yeah. some uh, starting to meet people around the set, and it's interesting. Everybody has a different kind of a flavor, and you start to get known on the set, shadowing and uh, right. And Joel yeah. makes himself available for Q and A. Any of that, introduce yeah. people to it. So you guys you, reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. So, no, <laughs> so, 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 someone questionable gives up that twenty five grand, and they show up like if that, if they no shirt, tw- no shoes, no service. Yeah, uh, no, well, no. I don't if know. They twenty five thousand. Put out twenty five thousand. Yeah. They, they can do anything. We can. Like. You yeah. come up we can, butt naked. We'll, come, <laughs> <laughs> we'll find a way to take your money. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a very exciting. Joel's offering the same thing. To, for people who are interested in theater, to shadow him for one week during rehearsals uh, of for Serrano. Serrano, the same thing make him make him make himself and the cast available for questions and learn about it. You can't buy this stuff; you really can't. Yeah, actually, now you can. 
But uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> you, you, I just thought you actually can do this with us. You're a liar, so Steve. I am a liar. But this is the first time you could actually do it. Those, those are the ones that, that are phenomenal. And there are a lot of gifts. One, our composer, Robert Tepper, who's a brilliant composer, he will, he's going to do this for two people. He will cut your demo. He will, he will, he, he, he has will, his own studio. He has his own studio. He will cut your demo. And if you can't sing, he will, he will find he will the sing vocalist. It for you. <laughs> he'll make the arrangements, the orchestrations. He'll make, he'll get the musicians. He'll cut it. And you'll walk away with a demo of, of whatever your song is. Wow. That's big. Uh, I like he's that. He's going to give two Scott, of those. Yes. Scott, you okay. got your shot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and we have, we're trying to I find. I mean, it'll cost you some money. Yeah. <laughs> we're trying to find some unique gifts, but we don't want to forget people who can only afford a dollar or five or 25 or 50, yeah. you, can, you can also get some really nice keepsakes and get to see the show in some cases, get a CD, get to meet the cast. So it'll yeah. be a theatrical, a theater experience either way, no matter what you give. That's great. Um, the show is called Innovation Crush. Uh, what out in the world do you see that you are crushing on that is innovative? Like, is there something you see, a trend? You were talking about your iPhone that you hate earlier. <laughs> I do. But is there, like, is there something in technology, in culture, in your own businesses? That well, you go, for me, it's what we said before, is the fact that the people who own the means of distribution are now being able to make their own product. And it's adding to the amount of work that exists for creative people all over the place. And it's, it's why I'm, it's not the only reason I'm on this show, but I'm interested in this. I'm interested in, in Richie Riches. I'm interested in where all this is coming from. This is the new energy that's going to drive uh, the networks to have to produce different kind of stuff that are going to challenge the networks. And it's coming from the bottom up. That's great. My favorite, my favorite thing, which is, I mean, it feels like we've been doing it for five years, but it's actually only a year or two old, is binge watching. I mean, it's so new relative, but it feels like it's been around for a while, you know, and we started, my wife and I started it with Breaking Bad. We watched everything. We watched all of the episodes of five and a half seasons or six seasons, whatever it was. We did it in about a week and a half. And afterwards, (laughs) I thought I was dealing methamphetamine. (laughs) I mean, it was like, I felt like I had white powder on it. Steve, you were dealing methamphetamine. I mean, it was so bizarre. I felt like I needed rehab after it was over, but it was such a great, intense experience. And I love that. To me, this is like... This is my candy store. I just, I just love it. No, that's it, it, that's funny. I, I, there was a concept that I was thinking of before, as far as like binge watching goes, because remember they used to be like, "We're going to show a marathon." The marathon. Like, that's was, right. That's right. You know, but it, it took two two days. That's, that's <laughs> you know, right. Marathon, yeah. um, so, uh, yeah. like, I, I think, right. like you said, binge watching necessarily isn't new, but the way we do it now is like it's so it's choice oriented. Like you can, it, yeah. yeah it, I just like the idea that I could, I could. You know, on demand. On demand, I get whatever on I want. That is, that is so appealing. Yeah. yeah, to me, that's the new sexy. <laughs> on demand yeah. is a new sexy. It certainly <laughs> is. Get sexy not. on demand. That sexy be on it. demand. <laughs> that's and what I say. That's what I say. <laughs> that's what I say. Sexy on demand. I can do that. Um, last but not least, uh, complete this phrase for me. Either of you can elect to go first. Um, you are no. You actually have to go first in this one, Joel. You, okay. You pointed. Um, innovation to me is. Innovation to me is basically taking um, materials and stuff that have existed since the beginning of time and finding a new way to package them that's refreshing, that's different, that's interesting, that isn't tied down to specific lengths of time or anything. I like it. I don't know if this makes sense, but it's being open to the future. Just being open and uh looking at everything and say, oh, that's interesting. What's that? Until it's not interesting and move on. 
Right. But everything should be interesting, even if it's for a nanosecond, and then move That's on. That's true. I think the, the inverse of that too, you kind of touched on this earlier, is like being naturally curious about things, right? Naturally yep. curious yeah. about yeah. things. You got to care. That, that's part of the being open. Like if you're, you're like, oh, I don't want to go to eat in a restaurant where there's no, the lights are out. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, like listen, it's, it's a really right. great experience. Octopus. Like, Who eats octopus? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Old boy. Um, where can people find out more about the project on the internets, on the webs, your what cell they, phone numbers? Yeah, what they could do is they could go to Indiegogo.com. And and then uh, Serrano the musical, All right. and that's going to be uh, on August 11th. Dare I say a date? There we go. sure okay. feel free. August 11th is when it's going to go up. Uh, okay, fish, officially, we'll put this up in October. Thank you. There you go. When, <laughs> yeah. when it, yeah. give us the most help, yeah, you'll get a, your reward next year. Oh, you mean we could have gotten? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it's Indiegogo.com Serrano the musical. Okay, got it. And uh, I want to thank you both. This is a pleasure. This is terrific. This was, Glad you guys made was, it. This was uh, almost just. almost painless. It was just <laughs> almost painless. <laughs> It'll be the name of my uh, autobiography. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody. This has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and uh, we will talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy. Try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger. I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudin posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and 3 comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.